Content in this episode may be graphic or triggering. Please take care while listening. Attention all true crime and mystery lovers. Are you tired of reading the same old detective stories? Well, look no further because my book, The Case, is here to satisfy your cravings for a thrilling and suspenseful read. Follow my journey as I unravel a complicated homicide case while almost losing my own family in the process. The case has twists and turns at every corner. You'll be on the edge of your seat until the very end. But don't just take our word for it. Crime and Cookie Juice followers everywhere are raving about the case. They can't get enough of the clever plots and intriguing characters that keep them guessing until the final pages. So why wait? Purchase the case on Amazon today and experience the excitement for yourself. Trust us, you won't regret it. Attention all true crime and mystery lovers. Are you tired of reading the same old detective stories? Well, look no further, because my book, The Case, is here to satisfy your cravings for a thrilling and suspenseful read. Follow my journey as I unravel a complicated homicide case while almost losing my own family in the process. The case has twists and turns at every corner. You'll be on the edge of your seat until the very end. But don't just take our word for it. Crime and Cookie Juice followers everywhere are raving about the case. They can't get enough of the clever plots and intriguing characters that keep them guessing until the final pages. So why wait? Purchase the case on Amazon today and experience the excitement for yourself. Trust us, you won't regret it. Attention all true crime and mystery lovers. Are you tired of reading the same old detective stories? Well, look no further, because my book, The Case, is here to satisfy your cravings for a thrilling and suspenseful read. Follow my journey as I unravel a complicated homicide case while almost losing my own family in the process. The case has twists and turns at every corner You'll be on the edge of your seat until the very end. But don't just take our word for it. Crime and Cookie Juice followers everywhere are raving about the case. They can't get enough of the clever plots and intriguing characters that keep them guessing until the final pages. So why wait? Purchase the case on Amazon today and experience the excitement for yourself. Trust us, you won't regret it. Welcome back to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. Tonight... As our guest, we really have a special treat for you guys today. So I don't want to I don't want to do too much. I don't want to say too much while we're here talking. I would love for this gentleman to introduce himself, but we have a few things to, to do beforehand. Yeah, Chris, we are really excited. First of all, happy holidays to everyone. We know it's a busy week. You're all shopping, hopefully eating a lot, drinking a lot. And we're really excited for our guest today because it's probably going to be a lighter episode. We're going to have more fun. We're going to talk a little crime still, and we're definitely talking some cookie juice. Just hold on a little longer for our very special guest, one that Chris has just been giddy about for the past few weeks. But before we get started, let me find out, Chris, are you drinking any cookie juice right now tonight i have a very special cookie juice that actually involves our guest so i'm gonna save the name of it (laughs) Uh, but once once it's announced you guys will recognize the name of it you'll recognize the person it's just it's just like fatima said i'm very giddy about this interview we have tonight because i think that our careers all of our careers actually intersect in a way that i didn't expect when i had our team to reach out to this gentleman and I think it's going to be a fun podcast. And this is what we wanted to do. Since it's the holiday season, we wanted to do something a little bit different. And when this gentleman agreed to come on, I, hey, I'm giddy about it. That's what's really cool. I find, I think one of my favorite things with filming Reasonable Doubt and why I love interviewing people is I find when you just have a good conversation with the person and get to know them, you have a lot more in common than you think. That's right. Whether it's hobbies you enjoy, or your background, or possibly even just the great connector of loss, love, all of those things, you'd find that we're all more alike than we think. And so that was a little surprise for today's guest, and we'll get into that soon. In full disclosure, it is evening for Chris and our guest. It is not so much evening for myself over in California, and I do have meetings later today. So I'm actually drinking my cookie juice with my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I needed my afternoon cup of coffee and I was like, I can't 
be drinking right now. I still have so much to do. I don't even want to get in that relaxed state, but I put it into my coffee and it's feeling very holiday-ish. I'm enjoying it. It's my latte. I'll tell you too, I'm also drinking something connected with our guests. So I'm going to wait and we'll talk a little more about that, but it's delicious. All right. So there you go, family. We have two cookie juices that we are, we don't want to announce right now. And of course, <laughs> y'all know I'm going to tell y'all's mine in just a minute. And I want to say you guys have really shown us and motivated us to do more for our podcast. So thank you for all of the messages that you sent. Thank you for all of the, the emails. Oh, We're getting emails. emails. We're getting DMs, voice messages. Um, oh, voice messages. Voice I, messages. And I need to reach out to some of them and see if I can get their consent to play some of these voice messages because Absolutely. y'all are so awesome and sweet on them. Just so encouraging. And we thank you all. We also thank you, who all those folks who are purchasing our merch. That's that right. is really just something we wanted to do. A lot of you guys were asking, and we want to be able to sport our merch too. That's um, right. It's really fun to have that swag. A lot of people don't know what cookie juice is. It's a good conversation starter. So for all of you who purchased and got your 15% off right before the holidays, send us photos, send us, tag us if you gifted it to someone or if you got it as a gift, because we are sending little thank yous to people here and there in the mail. And we're also, we had our giveaway. So that's really exciting. And we have plenty more to come, but we appreciate all your support with the merch. And yes, tag us every time. Tell us your funny stories about how somebody wants to know what cookie juice is. Now, before we get into our conversation with our guests this evening, I do want to talk a little bit about an interesting case, one that goes with today's theme. We're going to keep it light. We're going to keep it fun, but we're still talking crime. Mm. That's never really light and fun. People lose this one. You lose out on money and people had to do some time, but this one's a really interesting one. And I remember learning about this when we were on the road because we were sitting in a bar filming a debrief for a reasonable doubt. And one of the bartenders, the owner of the bar came over and said, do you guys want to have a little shot of Pappy? And you, your eyes lit up like it was Christmas morning. I was like, what's Pappy? You're just like, you don't know what Pappy is. (laughs) We are very professional, especially when filming Reasonable Doubt. We don't want any stares from Rob Rosen, our producer, any judgment. And normally we're very polite and we say in a nice way, oh, so sorry, we can't drink while filming, blah, blah, blah. You, and you're the one who's always the most professional. You're just like, Fatima, because sometimes I just want that glass. I'm like, can you just give me wine as I'm sitting here having this conversation with Chris? I really need it. I'm stressed. I need to unwind. And you're just like, no. But this time you're like, we'll take it. I'm like, we will? And you were like, yeah. So you explained to me a little more what Pappy was. And and then I found out there's a really interesting true crime case behind Pappy. I'm so interested in this. Okay, before we get into that, how good was that? The Pappy was extremely good. It was, I'm a smooth drinker. I love my drinks that are smooth. That's part of the reason why I so love our next guest. But I just, I enjoyed it. It was nutty. The one thing that I remember is the smoothness of it. And since that time, I remember that case. I remember that when we did that, I think that was season three. Yeah, so I remember that. And that was the only time that I've ever drank alcohol while we were while we were working. We were working then. Yeah. But I absolutely remember that. I remember the bar. I remember <laughs> I remember what I had on that day. Yeah. It was so good. And I remember thinking, I'm not a big bourbon drinker. And this is probably just gonna take taste like all the rest, but I'll try it. And I was like, Woo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's some good stuff. So yeah. For those of you who don't know Pappy, Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve is often regarded as one of the finest bourbons in the world. It's very low production and high demand, and that's why it can make it extremely difficult to come by. It's distilled and bottled by the Sazerac Company at its Buffalo Trace Distillery in Frankfurt, Kentucky. People are known to spend, and this may change through the years depending on the availability, People spending $1,500 to $4,000 per bottle on the secondary market, it's just not uncommon, even if it's crazy. The retail price, which is strange, is about $129 for a 20-year and $249 for a 23-year. But people will spend in the secondary market some serious bank. Empty bottles, I heard, sell for over $100 on eBay. That's just so crazy to me. But 
you know, some people, they spend a lot on their shoes. They spend a lot on their bags. If you're a bourbon lover, I can see wanting to get your hands on some of this stuff. Now let's go back to October, 2013. The company reports the theft of 65 three-bottle cases of Pappy Van Winkle 20-year and nine three-bottle cases of the 13-year-old Van Winkle Family Reserve Rye. Police theorized that it took a thief maybe about two months to complete the heist, and they noted that whoever did it avoided being recorded by security cameras. What does that tell you? Sounds like an inside inside job. job. There was a break in the case about six months later in March 2014, when a Buffalo Trace employee was arrested by Franklin County deputies for having five barrels of stolen wild turkey bourbon found on his property. Now, this guy's name was Gilbert Toby Kurtzinger. He was 45 and he was a senior employee of the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Apparently he worked in shipping. So he allegedly ran a bourbon theft conspiracy from 2008 until it was busted in April of 2015. He, all those years, he was stealing this bourbon and nobody mm. knew. Or if they did, they say some people may have known, but he was a bully and his personality was pretty aggressive. People didn't want to mess with him. If, yeah. it, if other employees did see what he was doing, they didn't say anything. But he stole a lot through those years. Now, it's believed that a snowstorm is what led law enforcement to him. After the second big snowfall of that winter, a wild turkey truck driver complained to a county employee that the dead-end country road where his stepdad lived hadn't been plowed, and he said that he had to make a delivery. Now, this raised suspicion because why does a wild turkey truck need to go down a dead-end road? What kind of delivery is he making? Shortly after that same day, an anonymous tip comes into the sheriff's deputies. It's probably that county employee that was called about this delivery. After receiving the tip, deputies go to the home of Kurt Singer and his wife. And in the yard, they spot barrels of bourbon covered with tarp. They could actually smell the bourbon the moment they stepped in the backyard. That's how much bourbon was back there. So what's interesting is that the Pappy, though extremely valuable, valuable. It was just kept locked in a cage with a faulty door whose hinges could easily be removed. Talking 20 year aged bourbon, 23 years selling for thousands of dollars in the secondary market. And you just have some little cage with hinges that could just easily be removed. Uh And so staff, it's actually surprising more staff didn't steal, but that's what he was doing. He was just taking off the hinges and taking a little at a time between all those years. And it added up to over a hundred thousand dollars worth of stolen whiskey. So it ends up, it's a big ring of people, a Kurt Singer, eight other men and women are arrested, Mm -hmm. accused of stealing the Pappy, along with an unknown number of barrels of other premium bourbons like Eagle Rare and Wild Turkey's Russell Reserve. So there's a lot of other whiskeys and bourbons that were also stolen, but over a hundred thousand dollars worth. And A lot of it was recovered, which you would think is great. And that included more than two dozen bottles of Pappy Van Winkle and 15 barrels of wild turkey. It was recovered. Awesome. Except the Van Winkle family states that the stolen whiskey, it should be destroyed as a precaution against tampering Mm. or contamination. So it was destroy that is that Ouch. a lot of people after this and this is something i really want to ask our guest about because this is such a well-known case in the bourbon world we know that the way that bourbon is made the way that it's stored all of those things it's such a slow process so following all of this the parent company of buffalo trace apparently spent 70 million on a new automated warehouse and i'm sure that was worth it considering yeah. the amount that they could keep losing if something like this continued to occur. But yeah, this was happening for years, but this was a big one. And considering how delicious and sought after Pappy is, I'm sure this hurt a lot, but it sounds like a lot of bourbon companies have learned from this. With that, I'd love to find out a little more from 
our expert today on his <laughs> thoughts on all of that. We will get our expert's word on this, on that case. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you last part. Right. So in the end, Kurtzinger pleaded guilty in 2017 to charges including theft by unlawful taking and receiving stolen property. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison for his role in the thefts. That's pretty mm. crazy. But he only spent 30 days in prison. 30 really? days. Judge judge ordered him released. And the judge basically said it was a shock probation, essentially the legal maneuver of sending an offender to prison for a short period before granting them probation. It was oh. let's scare him. Right. He did think 15 years was a lot. That was a lot of money. And um, money. money is crimes, embezzling money, unlawful taking of money, stolen property to crime, just like anything else. So yeah. people got to be punished. Right. I agree. Absolutely agree. So guys, it's come down to us announcing our new guest. Now, look, you've heard me talk about how much I love Angel's Envy. As a matter of fact, our first episode of the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast, it was the bourbon that I tried. It was our very first episode and I wanted to do something or take something and review it that I absolutely love. And I am a huge fan of Angel's Envy. One of our team members thought that it would be great to let's just try and see if we could reach out to the co-founder of the Angel's Envy brand. And she did. She reached out to a gentleman by the name of Wes Henderson, and he's our guest today. But I just want him to talk about, y'all know how much I love police work. Y'all know how much I love Angel's Envy. So I want him to talk about how our careers intersect, and I'm going to bring him in. Hey, Wes. Hey, hey, what's going on, Wes? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Doing perfectly great. I love the Pappy story, and I <laughs> want to talk about that if you don't mind, but I got a couple of things before I get there. Okay. The first thing is, I love the fact that you managed to turn a debrief, a visit to the bar into a debrief. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what we do. That we, we do that. All of our debriefs are usually done inside of a bar. It's just what we do. Chris and I love food and bourbon or drinks. And so right. put so us like, in that place and we're happy to review evidence all night. Three or four times a day now, I'm going to go debrief. Yeah. So that's one another thing, great thing you guys have going for you. And uh, the, can I mention something about the Pappy heist real quick? Yes, please. I'm sure stuff? you have so much inside information. I, I really don't have much more than what you put into it. When it first came out, I'm like, yeah, I can solve this crime real easily. I can trace it right back to the marketing department because it was a huge marketing boost for those guys. Not that they needed it. Dear really? friends of the yeah, dear friends of the family, the Van Winkles, we love them to death. The bourbon's doing so well, but it got a ton of publicity. And people and thought it was rumors just to get like a marketing scheme. You're exactly right. And Angel's Envy was involved in a similar, like a theft ring down in Florida years ago, an organized theft ring where there was a group in different parts of the state that was stealing high-end whiskeys mm -hmm. and selling them in the in different cities on Craigslist. And it ended up being like, I think there might have been some RICO charges or something like that filed really? on it. But I got contacted over it by the FDLE when I lived down there. I'm like, you mm -hmm. know, what the hell's the FDLE calling me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I get a message from my assistant. Oh, the FDLE wants to talk to you about something. I'm like, oh, great. But I'm trying to think of anything I did, that, that reason they want to talk to me, but I was okay. <laughs> I was in good shape. So you were but, good. But, but that's a great story. It really is. And that shows the power of bourbon and the love for bourbon now. And we have releases out there that are just like Pappy that people line up around the block. Yep. when they come out and in some cases pay thousands of dollars for them. And we're just, we're so grateful for the appreciation. But as you all know, anytime there's something of value or people find a way to, to, to get around it and get their hands on it and, mm -hmm. and, and capitalize on it. So that's always going to happen, but that's a great story. I'm glad you picked that one out. <laughs> I thought it, it was on Netflix. It was one, Chris loved Pappy. We had it that time. And then my husband has talked about this whole thing that occurred many years ago. It was so fascinating to him, the inside job. And then Netflix came out with a show called Heist. And they talked about some major heists that were pulled off in different areas across the country. And this one was featured on there, I think two episodes, because it was just so interesting. I mean, there's a whole nother portion of the actual suspects and the crime ring they were a part of that was is just very fascinating but it's something that like you said like anything else when something is really sought after and people just love it and it becomes such a passion of theirs and it becomes so valuable 
somebody's going to take advantage. And it's really sad that an employee who had, I mean, he was there something over 20 years. I heard he was employed there. So that's pretty sad because he had to have known the family and everything else and taken that from them. And from what I hear, you don't make a ton and correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, because the retail wholesale retail is not as much. It's not thousands, right? It's a couple hundred a bottle. That's really the profit margins aren't that huge for the distillery. So it is a little wrong to be it's wrong to steal people. Let's not steal. Nice, yeah. But also it's not like the family, not that they're not doing well, but it's not like they were making a huge profit off of this like he was. It, it, people just taking advantage. Pappy's blown up mm -hmm. into one of the most popular bourbons. A lot of it has to do, and of course it's great bourbon. A lot of it, one of the reasons it's so big is you can't get it. And, yeah. and I'm sure for years that was happening out of those warehouses and nobody mm -hmm. knew about it. And not just with Pappy. Sazerac has a bunch of other brands and I wouldn't doubt that it's happened to us along the way. Also, I mean, these warehouses, some of them are in the middle of nowhere and there's no, no physical security at most of them. You have cameras and maybe some perimeter alarms and it is a federal offense to steal out of them. So you might want to think twice about doing right. it, there you go. but let's talk about Angel's Envy because we're excited about that. Chris is tell us, how did you start Angel's Envy? How did that come about? It, it was really a crazy ass idea. It, there are so many reasons why it shouldn't have worked versus why it should have worked. And I say that because it's not easy to get into this business, but I grew up in this industry and the timing is everything. My dad was a master distiller for a company called Brown Foreman for 40 years. So dad created Woodford Reserve, Gentleman Jack Daniels, Single Barrel, other amazing products. I worked there a long time ago left the industry, had no plans of coming back. Really mm -hmm. didn't. I was always fascinated with bourbon, but I grew up with it. So it didn't have that mystery. My dad was a scientist, which I'm a science geek as well, but bourbon wasn't nearly as big as it is now. So I didn't really look at it as a career. So I went off and ran other businesses and created some really cool things. And it wasn't until dad retired that I decided to start Angel's Envy in 2009. Got dad out of retirement. God bless him. Yeah. And we were off to the races. It, it's, uh, it's now, I looked into it. So there's something called the angel share. That's a term that all bourbon distilleries and bourbon creators, they use. What is that? So you put bourbon barrels, just much like the ones in the Pappy Heist and in these warehouses and ages in these warehouses are bourbon ages for a minimum of four years. We've got a rye that ages for a minimum of eight, but while it sits in those hot warehouses, you get evaporation of that distillate out of the wood. And so we say we're sharing that with the angels. As the distillate <laughs> evaporates, we're sharing that with the angels. And the story is that what's left, the angels are envious of. So that's where the name uh, Angels Envy came from. That is, I'm actually creative. surprised nobody else came up with something like that. I am too. And really, if there wasn't an Australian wine that's trademarked Angel Share, we might have stopped there and just called it Angel Share. Oh, really? I'm, but I'm mm. glad that it was trademarked because it forced us to really go down that rabbit hole a little bit further and think about that, that tension you have with the angels where they want some, we want some, and we compromise. Love the name. It's, it, it, we really, we were blessed to be able to put it together. You have to give up to the angels. You have to give to get. Mm. In order to have good bourbon, you have to have that evaporation because that's showing that that distillate is maturing the way it needs to mature. And like I said, you got to give to get. Heard that sound, that cork pop over there. Yeah, there you go. That's right. We talked a little bit earlier about standing in line and getting your bourbons. Now, I just want you to know that this is one that I just bought. I had to stand in line to get this one, even though this is not a, this is a bottle that you can usually find, but not around here. It's so famous here and so well known now here in my city that it's very hard to find. So whenever I go, I'll buy one, but I usually grab two. And oh, there you go. This is my first time ever trying this brand here. This is the rye brand that Not you the talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I love it. I love the taste and the notes that I'm getting out of this. Real quick, the shape of that bottle is so pretty. It's like an angel's wings. Right. It's so cool that you can see that with the shape of the bottle. Mm -hmm. It's very feminine when you think of an angel. So I like that, that the theme all around, it's a beautiful bottle. It's like angelic. And really, truthfully, the bottle shape, I'm not going to say it scared me at the beginning because we created it, but it is. it was so different than anything out there in 2009. 
that it scared me. But the same reasons it scared me were the same reasons I loved it because yeah. there was nothing out there like it. And right. we like that femininity. We we like that weight of the glass. It's what we call it perfume grade glass. It's mm -hmm. thick and solid and heavy in your hands. And it matches the shape of the bottle, matches the shape of the wings on the back mm -hmm. of the bottle. I Ladies. love that. To, to the ladies that are listening to this podcast, I'm just going to tell you, there is nothing sexier than knowing your way around a bottle of bourbon. This, and you just heard Wes, he's the co-founder of this company. He's the co-founder of this lovely, delicious bourbon that we have today. I would Fem say there's nothing sexier than a beautiful brain, but what do I know? I'm a woman, so... <laughs> You're, you're, how about a beautiful brain with a bottle of bourbon? A bottle oh, beautiful of bourbon. Hey, and that's me, guys. That's me. And by the way, I'm drinking. So I didn't have Angel's Envy on me. I didn't have time to go run. And I knew Chris would be drinking it. But I'm drinking in honor of your pops, Wes. So I'm Thank having you. a Woodford Reserve uh, in my coffee. And it's I, delicious. I do I, love it. I think that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so Wes, tell us about your career before Angel's Envy, or I guess it's your current career, am I correct? Yeah, I I retired from Angel's Envy in January of this year from day to day. I still do some events for the company. Four of my boys, four of my six boys work there as well. So they, they picked up the mantle and it gave me more time to pursue my other job, and, which, and that this is where we start to intersect here is that I'm a death investigator with the coroner's office here in my county. So I spend my time just before the podcast, we had to delay it because I had a case and I love doing what I'm doing. And we help families and solve mysteries and put puzzles together. It's great. And I'm a fan of your shows. <laughs> well, so I, you. we can just bro out on that. We could bro so out on that. Wild that is because wild though. People tend to think, oh, Chris is just, he's a homicide detective. That's what he's into. Fatima, she's a lawyer. That's what she's like. People forget we're all multifaceted. We have That's so right. many things about us that we love. I have so many passions. I just revealed the other day on Instagram to all our fans for the first time that before, while a lawyer, before joining the show for years, I sang in a cover band because one, I have a lot of student debt to pay back, but two, I love singing. I grew up singing in the church. I love to sing. It's definitely a part of me. I love theater. So there's a whole other side to me. It's probably a whole lot more fun than the lawyer side, but I like to think both are fun, but I love that you after all these accomplishments, because I read somewhere and correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, that you've been up, you have, that you were a pilot, a volunteer firefighter, and you once had a radio gig when you were younger. And then you had six boys, which that's a whole nother podcast that I would love to pick <laughs> no. your brain about. I have one and I'm drowning, but so you have all these different things that you've been able to accomplish all these different passions. I look at life as collecting experiences is what it really, really boils down to. And mm -hmm. working in public service, I've really found something that, that I love very much and I find very rewarding. And it's a way to really get out there and make a difference between the fire service and the coroner's office. And I think it's important that we do that when we can. Yeah. And who knows what my next experience is going to be. I don't know what the next few chapters are going to be like. I did some radio a couple of weeks ago. I sat in on a on the local morning show. They had me come in and set in. I'm like, I like this. I, Fun. I, I was right back at home behind the microphone and picked up where I left off 20 some odd years ago. That's uh, a radio greeting here, Wes. Oh no, this is my radio voice. Actually, I have a it's face a for I have a face for radio. Is what they say. <laughs> That's I've heard that many times. Oh, Can no. you just say welcome to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast? Welcome to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. <laughs> yeah, you do, have, you do have that smooth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I lowered a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, like I dialed like it. in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think we just got our new our new next announcement. I'll do your announces for you. Don't play no with me, Wes, because I will I, be calling you, dude. I, I got you. So how long have you been a death investigator? I have, it's been about five years. It was a transition over really from the fire service, mm -hmm. those connections and working those scenes. And I did have some, a little bit of medical knowledge and background and went through the training with the, uh, yeah. with the uh, state criminal justice department and courses and all this crazy stuff to get certified and a member of the coroners and ME's associations. And that's what really started me was probably in the fire service. But before no. I started this, I knew, I thought a huge majority would be investigative, which I love solving puzzles. But I, what I didn't think about the amount of the job was grief counselor, social worker, family referee, 
death investigator, shoulder to cry on, all those things. I underestimated the percentage of the job that was related to that, but I'm good. At I that. definitely relate. I wanted to become a lawyer. I thought I was always going to be in court and in trial and talking to everyone and winning my cases and proving my point. And majority of my day is counseling people as they cry yeah. and letting them know your life is not over. We're going to fight this, letting families know we're going to get through this and answering all these questions and being, like you said, the social worker, the counselor, I call myself a counselor more than a counselor of law. That is how much, because all of these things, although we have our passions and the areas we fit, you're a good investigator. You like putting, solving mysteries there are people connected to all yeah. of this that are impacted mm -hmm. in such a way that they need that empathy. They need yeah. that compassion. They need a human being on the other side who sees them and hears them rather than somebody who's just doing their job. you got to do both. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've always loved about being a homicide investigator is the connections that you have to the families. I've had cases, I've had homicide cases where I've had to go to a family's house at three, four o'clock in the morning and give them the worst news that they've ever wanted to hear in their lives, that they ever cared to hear in their lives. And that's that your loved one is never coming back. So what happened in a lot of my cases was that I almost became like a quasi type family member to these family members. And I still have connections to them to this day. And that was 15 years ago when I still talk to them on a regular basis. That's what I all, I wanted that from every family that I touched, every family member that, that every case that I worked, I wanted to, I didn't want to just be a detective. I, I wanted to help every single person, every single life that I touched. And that's one thing that a lot of a lot of investigators overlook it or some investigators overlook that portion and that you'll have a connection to this family for the rest of your career mm -hmm. and probably the rest of your life. Wes, sure. can you explain to our listeners the difference between something like a homicide detective, like what Chris does and a death investigator? I can. And it varies from state to state. Kentucky has a coroner's based system where the coroner's office is we determine the cause and manner of death. It's a law enforcement role. So we work parallel with the police department. So we'll be on the same scene, essentially conducting the same investigations, but often looking at different things. Very collaborative. Often I'll go in the scene at the same time with the homicide investigator, if it's a homicide or the officer, whatever the situation may be, we'll enter the scene together. We'll start having some discussions and forming some theories about different things. And then there are certain things that I'm going to do that, that, that he may not do and certain things that he's going to do that I may not do. I'm not doing GSR. I'm not doing stuff like that, but really works. And we have a great relationship with our detectives here. And uh, it's a parallel investigation potentially. Right. And it's also a checks and balances. The, right. the, I've been on scenes where there's evidence that I've missed. Just recently, there was a little shell casing somewhere that I missed. The detective found it. And there are cases I've been on where they, they haven't noticed something that I've noticed. And it just fits together in a way that gives the best possible chance of coming to the right conclusions. That's what so happened. great that a family can know everybody's taking a second look at something. So mm -hmm. there is that checks and balances. And that's really important. That's what Chris and I always would say when in filming Reasonable Doubt is we're going through all this evidence from two different sides, two different of the criminal justice system, but together we're helping one another view the evidence differently because there's just things that my eye would see and catch. And then there's things his eye would see and catch. And together we'd say, oh, I missed that. And that was very helpful in the case. So to have that collaborative environment is really important. Are there ever times when you have theories and the police department has a different one and you're at odds? I can't think of any off the top of my head. I tend to be overly caught. I don't really cautious in a good word. I'm na that's probably like a lot of detectives too. I'm naturally suspicious. A lot, a lot of times I will walk in with the assumption that something until proven differently, let's say you have a violent death and you're kicking some different things around. I'm going to assume that violent death might've been at somebody else's hand until proven otherwise. But generally we're on the same page because we're there from the very beginning, forming our opinions as we go along. Are there, can there be differences? I can see where there would be differences along yeah. the way, but our roles are different. My role is to determine the cause and manner of death. The detective's role is to frame that in a way as to whether or not there's criminal behavior related to the cause and manner of death. You're mm -hmm. still different than a coroner. I am a deputy coroner as well. Okay. So that's technically what the role is. 
Okay. There's a lot of pressure in that, right? For you alone, just to get it right. More pressure than there probably needs to be. I tend to overthink stuff, but I'd rather overthink than underthink. And mm -hmm. I, t I, I say, we all, I think we all, no matter how long we do, how often we do this, we take our cases home with us, whether you can compartmentalize it or not, they're still there. And I had a case the other day and not talking specifics, but I got home. My wife said something, she was trying to talk to me about something. She said, you're not going to be thinking about anything else, but that case, the rest of the night. That's right. And she was right. Yeah. I'm running through scenarios in my head the, the whole night, as opposed to really paying attention to what's going on at home. Absolutely. I could see that. Chris goes in his head all the time. I'm looking at him sometimes and his will, and he's just, hold on. And he's like talking to himself in his mind. He's his, he's just somewhere else. And it's right. because, and we both tend to do it. Even when we reach the end of a case and we come to a conclusion, we both get in the car when we're leaving these families and we look at each other, we're still brainstorming mm -hmm. other ways or other things and other motives. And it's just like, we can't just let it rest. One thing that I found, and I actually, that's basically what my book is about, like how much I had to live and work within my head. Be several times, you'd be coming back from either scene or coming back from talking to a family and your partner is in the car and he's just rattling off stuff. You're not hearing that. You're not you're listening to it. You're trying to pay attention to it, but you can't get the cases out of your head. And there was a time when I first got into homicide that our relationship suffered behind it because I'm one of those people that live with inside of our head. I live within my head. So everything that's happening, it's happening in my head. There were a lot of years that we went through that I had to figure out how can I manage my marriage and my life outside of working and still manage these cases. And I, I don't know if I've figured it out yet, but I know my wife is still here and I'm retired. <laughs> how so, do you, you know, separate like, them, Wes? Yeah, you have to separate You go to the yeah. distillery and say, hey, just pour me a glass. Let's, <laughs> you know. I started Forget out, all about uh, it. I did that at first. That was my initial response to it, but that didn't work out too well. So I cut back on the drinking and started really just communication. Communication was the best thing for me as cops. And I'm sorry, Wes, I may ramble on about this, but as cops, we, we were always taught that you leave work at work. You never bring work home. So that was part of the problem that my wife and I were having and one of the issues because she wanted to download her day and wanted me to download my day to her. She's a communicator. And I'm not a communicator. I've been trained. I've been training for 10, 12 years now before I went into homicide about how to not bring this home. It, that caused an issue in our relationship because I wasn't a communicator. So I figured out that I've got to do the one thing that I hate to do. And that's the talk. So I started telling yes. her about my cases I and I started that. to communicate with her about some of the things that were happening, some of the things that were happening in my head. And she understood it. And, and thanks for sharing that, Chris. And that that is so important. Not only is it good for your marriage to Absolutely. have that communication, it's good for us as first responders to yeah. verbalize those, and I'm going to call them feelings because there are, and sometimes just being able to, and for so many years, cops, firefighters, paramedics, the thing was, you don't talk about stuff. You don't yeah. really talk about your feelings. You don't talk about how things affect you. And people suffer from it, from suicide, from, yeah. from alcoholism, from all these things. And just now we're learning a little bit better on how to take care of our own mental health. That's right. And a lot of that involves getting, talking about those things and, mm -hmm. and sharing with your partner, having a debrief after a critical incident. That's um, right. And checking back with them two or three days later and say, how you doing, man? I know that was a real crappy thing we did two or three days ago. How are you feeling about that? And, and there are so many resources now for first responders as far as therapy geared towards that recovery programs for first responders. I've represented throughout my career so many first responders. So yeah. I've represented a lot and I get a lot of heat from other defense attorneys. I've represented a ton of police officers in my career. My boss, my mentor who got me into criminal law, he was first a homicide detective. Then he became a prosecutor before becoming a defense attorney. And so I, I noticed how all of it can work together and how we're really not all on opposing sides in the end, right? We're all seeking justice. We want to make sure it's the right way. And so ultimately, I think I've noticed throughout the years, a change also the younger generation of law enforcement, they are starting 
earlier on and encouraged to go speak to someone about Mm -hmm. what they see throughout the day, about the pressures they feel and the cases, the photos they have to look at, the evidence they have to review. That stuff stays with you. How can you just be expected to shut that off and go about your day, go home to your children when you've been looking at photos of children throughout the day in your job and due to crimes that occurred? It's really tough. So I have a lot of first responders who end up in these wonderful programs and see these therapists that are able, that are themselves were first responders who understand them. So we encourage anybody who's in this kind of position and who needs to talk about, because it's not normal. It's not Mm -hmm. normal to have to see what you see all day. One thing that I've realized throughout my career is I'm seeing a whole lot more. The world isn't necessarily this dark, evil place or this really scary place, but it's magnified for us, right? We're a little more paranoid when it comes to our kids and family, because we know the scenarios, we see them. Also as an attorney, I know the scenarios of driving safely and motorcycle accidents, all those things, having a swimming pool, all the liability issues, because it's just what you do all day long. So you just Mm -hmm. can't go home and turn it all off and act like you're not aware of these things. It's really hard and it's not normal to hold all that in because what you're taking in all day is a lot. I love this conversation because a lot of our listeners do have these kinds of jobs. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are also nurses seeing a lot of these things who they feel this need to take care of people and they see a lot of violent, you know, blood and all these things that, that come in and people who are victims of violence that they have to help through. So it's important for people to have somebody to talk to. I love that you encourage that. You have six boys. Do you have these conversations with them? I do. And I had a conversation with them the other day about a a case that involved driving. And not to get real specific, but somebody died, was in the news, somebody died locally doing something on the side of the interstate, getting out of their car. And I said, guys, if you pull over on the interstate, you don't sit in the emergency lane. You pull all the way over into the grass. Mm -hmm. And I want to see your entire vehicle in the grass and not in the emergency lane. You know, that that was just one of those lessons that that I tried to give them. And we spend a lot of time looking at things on how they can go horribly wrong. Like when I see, when I walk into a room or when Chris, I'm sure is the same way, I'm looking at everybody in that room. I'm looking at where I'm sitting. I'm the same way. I look yeah. at exits. My husband loves to go to concerts. Yep. Music is his thing and it's how he unwinds. And I've come to love that as well. But when we go, especially in the past, five years with all the things that have been happening at every place you can think of, not just concerts, but concerts is a big one, just something where there's a lot of people. I now I'm looking at where the exits are. I'm looking at where I would run, where I would hide. It's so sad, but there are things that you have to think about living in America. And so it's good to, sometimes my husband will say, I don't want to scare our son. I don't want to scare him. But also if he's learned to open the door, I have a toddler. He's learned to open the door and he loves to get the Amazon packages when they come. Amazon opens the door and grabs it and thinks nothing of it. He's not even four. So I panic and I'm trying to explain to him why he can't open the door. He doesn't understand why. So now mommy's saying, you don't know if there's somebody who's going to take you. You're just so cute. It's the difference between a first time parent and somebody with six kids. When you've got six (laughs) kids, I send the toddler to the end of the driveway to get the package. There you go. Yeah. Except that toddler in Texas was just kidnapped by a, what was it? FedEx employee? Yeah. A a contract driver for them. Contract driver. Just devastating. So hear these things. And I think other people hear them and they go about their day. Moms probably don't. It hits differently, but especially someone who does this kind of work every day hears about these stories, you are just more cautious. But yeah, I'm sure by the time you hit number six, you were like, you all could just take care of each other. Does number six (laughs) know that he was supposed to be Heather or Jennifer or like that mom really wanted him? I think it was hopeless by the time you've got five and going after six that you're that you're going to have a girl one, one thing that's real funny is that the first two or three kids have their baby books they have a million pictures a million videos every time they walk talked farted whatever (laughs) it was on video poor ian my youngest he's got maybe three pictures i don't know if he i don't know if he's in any videos or not chains of oil in the car at probably five years old and (laughs) 
But He's the most independent, I'm sure, and will be I taking care of everyone. It is. It's, and it's one way or the other, I believe, with that many kids. Either the youngest is spoiled to death and can't do anything for themselves, mm-hmm. or they have to fend for themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's the way my, my youngest is. But I tell you what, it's a huge treat. It's a huge treat to be able to work with them in the bourbon industry and have them want to do what I'm doing. And five of them or four of them now are either active or inactive state firefighters as well. So oh, I, cool. oh, they I, share a lot of your passions. Then. I Urban, see them. Volunteering, yeah. One of them's a pilot as well. Wow. Yeah. So I see them on scenes very often and yeah. that's an interesting dynamic as well. They're there on the fire side and I'm there on the coroner side and we you must we, be so proud. I'm very what a proud. legacy. Very I'm more proud of that, I think, than, than anything else. I really, right. we've been very successful in the bourbon business. We're very blessed. And I just finished a collaboration with a Metallica on, on their blackened whiskey that they have. What? They have a whiskey called blackened and they have a special release of blackened. That's the Wes Henderson special release that just came out. So I get to do, I get to hang out with those guys and that's amazing. You know, and, and, and it is amazing. Stuff like that. You're a rock star, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the fun stuff. That's yeah. just bourbon, though. People love me because I have bourbon. It's not that I'm <laughs> bourbon's that fun. I'm, it, it is fun. So can you I, explain why now is it so popular? The last twenty years, bourbon's just taking off, and it's such a big deal now. What what's changed? I think that the cocktail culture really helped. Uh, Mad Men era cocktails coming mm. back, the Manhattan, the old fashioned, all those things. And bourbon was huge up until the late 60s. And then vodka came in and really became king. And it has been that we just in the last four or five years, we back to the same production that we had in the late 60s. And we're wow. surpa- we finally surpassed that. Bourbon is very versatile. It, uh, it can be used in cooking. It can be used in cocktail, mm. drink it neat. There are great stories about bourbon. You, know, you can you can't really sit down and have a discussion over a glass of vodka about how it's made and the yeah. generations of when the like the Bean family eight generations of that family I have I, I've got three generations involved in our business and all the stories behind those things so all those together I believe have something to do with why bourbon has enjoyed this resurgence we've got a long way to go more younger people are drinking bourbon more women are drinking bourbon which I absolutely mm-hmm. love and I think it's going to be a while we got do you have some more fun collaborations I thought I read somewhere about Bacardi yeah we actually sold the company to Bacardi several years okay. ago even though we continued to run it so I was very intimately involved with Bacardi there are some other collaborations that are in the mix, which is anything which is you can fun. tell us on the phone <laughs> right now. But I'll come back and you'll be okay. the first I tell about it. That's what I'm talking about. We want the juice. So what was the, it? The, the Bacardi thing that that really interests me because Bacardi is known for rum, and so they are now taking on bourbons. Yeah, Bacardi also owns Great Goose, Patron Say, um, Angels Envy, right. uh, a bunch of Patron's a huge, huge part of their portfolio. Yeah. We were the first bourbon and the only bourbon now, I think, in, in their portfolio. We fit fit that, that that niche for them. So it was a good fit family company. They're a family company as well, 160 mm-hmm. years in the industry. And it was just a really good match for us. That's great. What was it that... What was the push that made you just decide, look, let's go all in on this Angel's Envy. Let's, let's try to do something. You've told us about your father, and I understand that. But what was it that gave you that push? When I decided to do it, we were living down in Florida, and I had a business down there. It was doing well. I really enjoyed what I was doing, but it was really, so long story short, I flew back to Kentucky after my dad was retired, and I said, Dad... I want to start this bourbon brand as a family. What do you think about that? And dad said, sure. It was like that. Sure. Now, really? None of us, none, but none of us probably had any idea that it was going to happen. None of us knew how we were going to do or if we could do it. It was just a meeting of the minds right there. So I went back to Florida, sat down with my wife and told her what I wanted to do. And she said, okay, well, she's used to me and crazy ass ideas. And she's been, we've been together 33 years now. Yeah. I told her what I wanted to do. So we moved six kids, four dogs, two fish and a bird. Uh, and a bearded dragon up to Kentucky from Florida on an idea. Yeah. So Chris, wow. it had, God it, bless it, your wife. It, it, it had to work. It had yeah. to work. Yeah. There's no other choice. We were all in. and it did better than work. Yeah, no. It, we were very fortunate. It, it's done very well. And it was a great decision. Nobody regrets it. And we're back at our home. He's my home originally. I still go down to Florida. We keep a place down there. And but this is home. Kentucky's home for bourbon, right? That's where you got to be there in order to really be taken seriously and respected, I think, think, in that industry. 95% of the bourbon in the world is made in Kentucky. It's a misnomer that bourbon has to be made in Kentucky. It can be made anywhere in the U.S. 
But like I said, 95% is made here. And I argue that the best bourbon is made here. So it's a Bacardi <laughs> distillery there in Kentucky? No, it's Angel's Envy distillery. It's Angel's Envy. How many employees yeah. do you have? We probably have about 170 globally and globally now. We are a global brand. I say we, I've retired. I guess it's still we because yeah. I'll always be the founder. But yeah, we're a global brand now. We started, we launched globally before the pandemic. And and yeah. going, that's fantastic. Yeah. Chris will keep you in business. I will keep I, you in I, business. I love that, man. Yeah. I, I love that. And I was really excited when there was somebody from your team reached out to me yeah. when I heard it was you guys. And, you know, I know the show, obviously, but I didn't know about the podcast yet, which I do now. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't listen to my own stuff though. I don't really? know whether you guys, I don't know whether y'all watch your own stuff. Yeah. There's a, I hated a, it. a ton hated of interviews it. out there. I'll flip it. Uh, I, never, I cringe. Uh, Whereas, yeah. There is nothing more annoying than hearing yourself on television mm-hmm. or seeing yourself on television. It's so I, annoying because you never yeah. get to watch it. You never get to look at it like a fan or anybody else would. Mm-hmm. You're always wondering, geez, I put on some weight. What? <laughs> right? Wear- oh my gosh. <laughs> Chris and I are sitting there. We're talking about the most <laughs> intense conversations, really heavy subject matter. And we're both sitting there and I'm going, Chris, do you see my double chin? That is so wrong. Why did they put the camera so long? Chris is look at me too. And I'm like, we should stop being this shallow. But we, when we're filming, we're not thinking about these things. When we're filming, we forget the cameras are there. It's about these families. It's about justice. It's about truth. And, um, we, it wasn't about the cameras for us, but then later we'd watch and go, maybe we should have thought more about the cameras yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that it's done. I, I totally get it. I've got a little podcast called Let's Drink Bourbon. And okay. it's, uh, oh, awesome. it's, it's and, and I know Fatima, you mentioned you, uh, you're a big music fan and it's a lot of music artists as well as figures in the bourbon industry. And it's let's drink bourbon. Let's okay. drink bourbon. It's a lot of fun. And it's we've only got one season out there right now. And who knows what will I think we may continue to do it, but it's dude, fun. and you can mix it up. It, man. Yeah. You can have us on yeah. a talk crime. There you go. Love to that's, have that. That's what I want to do. We would right. love to do it. There's love. no limits, right? Yeah, yeah. And like we talked about, we all have different things we enjoy for Chris and I in doing this podcast we're going to make sure whatever it is that we enjoy talking about or something that is of interest to us, we're going to bring it on. We can do yeah. whatever we want with it. And most of the time, obviously, are because of our jobs, it's about crime, but it's going to be about all the different areas of that. And for us, look, we met somebody who's created this amazing bourbon that Chris and myself, I'm a fan. And here you are, a death investigator as well. All of those things can be intertwined. For us, it was really big when we cookie juice was something we always talked about because there is something about bourbon. It does automatically wind you down. It slows you down. I'm somebody who needs to slow down and look at everything and just take a beat. It's really hard for me to do that because I'm a multitasker. I'm doing all these things throughout the day. And when you're looking at a case, there's so much to it. Sometimes I would come in and after reviewing evidence for a couple hours, I'd be like, Chris, And I would just throw up all over him, all of this information I had just digested. And he's going, whoa, let's talk about this tonight. Let's grab some cookie juice. Let's sit down and go over it. (laughs) And he was right because you miss things in the fast conversations and somebody's not really quite understanding it. But then whenever we would meet up later, we'd pour a glass, we'd sit down and we'd go, okay, let's talk about this. And maybe he'd say, you saw that, but look at this. And that's where it really helped us. So it's not just that it's also yummy. It's mm. that there is something about it that just makes you slow down and take a moment. Right. Well, spirits, it's the great way to bring us together socially. It improves the human experience. Sitting down and having a glass of spirits or whatever you're drinking, you just you can just relate to somebody as a human being. And it enhances our social experiences together. Mm. If, you, if you drink it responsibly, and then we forget that we're Republican or Democrat or black or white or whatever, or just people drinking some whiskey together and telling one lies and war stories. That's right. I can't tell you how many nights Fatima and and it was a weekly thing for us. We didn't drink that often. That was usually one night after we we finished either a download or we finished talking to a a just really intense conversation. We would always sit down and talk of the nights before we were about to reveal how we were finding on these cases. 
that was our cookie juice night. We always set it aside. Even Rob, our producer, he would take time out. And we would never, look, would we drink wine every once in a while? Yeah, but I've always found that bourbon has always been the thing for me to help me slow things down and really process what we were about to do, what we had just gone through, and to be able to talk and communicate about how we were going to reveal to this family some news that they probably either have never wanted to hear or either have been looking for years. And we never took that lightly, but it helped for us to slow things down. I but need no, a little. Were, yeah. What were you saying? You, I'm sorry, you were debriefing. I typed it was it our here. debrief. I typed it here, so I wouldn't. I debrief. I've got <laughs> right. it on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wes, we had did our, your? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Did your father get to see the success of Angels Envy? He got to see a little bit of it. Yeah, it, Angels Envy really grew probably quicker than Woodford did at the beginning. So he got to see those things and he knew we were on solid footing. He did not get to see the distillery after it was built, unfortunately, the new distillery oh, in downtown Louisville, which he would have loved. That would have been his play as a scientist. I could just see him walking around there. As a matter of fact, we have uh, I have a coat hanger in the lab at the plant and we've got dad's lab coat that stays hung up there in, 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 in the lab and it'll never go anywhere. It says Lincoln yeah. Henderson master distiller on well, it. Well, cause so. he's there. It he's... started with him and he passed it on to you and now you're passing it on to your boys. So that's special, that legacy of that. I love that story yeah. for Chris's favorite bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. I love it's... it. Me too. Well, Me too. Who, who came up? Was it dad that came up with the recipes? It was us together. Yeah, it really was. And dad was very much a let me do my thing and be yeah. supportive. And if I'm going to make mistakes, let me make mistakes. But I knew that I had him as a net. But yeah. I truly believe that was a melanoma survivor for about eight years. Really? Uh, when we started Angels Envy. Yeah. So I think in the back of our minds, dad probably had a limited amount of time. Melanoma is such a horrible disease. And it oh, often, don't I often, know. Our Chris yeah. is a survivor. Yep. Yeah, it, it can be. Now, fortunately, now the treatments that they have are, mm. are amazing. If you catch it early, yeah. you're fine. Yeah. But but I think dad realized that before they found it, it was more advanced and he had limited mm. amount of time. So we knew that we were up against the clock. But dad just wanted to do something with me. He wanted to do something with his grandsons. He had already had a walk-off home run with Woodford. Right. He had no mm -hmm. reason I think to so. he had I know, no right? reason to come back into this other than to so dad I think dad was preparing me by letting me and forcing me is not a good word but just affirming yeah. and guiding and letting me feel my so when dad did pass away there wasn't this big vacuum in the company certainly there was a vacuum in the loss of dad and his spirit mm -hmm. but as yeah. far as creating whiskeys and flavor profiles and lens. I did all that. So when he passed, yeah. it wasn't like, boom, that was gone. And you can, in the, in continuing that and the business, it was continuing his legacy and the faith that he put in you to do yeah. it again, which is very cool. I love that. I think so too. Our first whiskeys were like rated 92 or 98 or different. Wow. I'm like, yeah, this Your is first great. whiskeys. This is great that we have a 98, but that's a little bit of pressure. Where do you yeah. go from there when your first release is a 98? And, but fortunately every release we've had special releases have sold out and been highly rated, but we didn't overthink it, Fatima. We we just set out to make the best whiskey we can make and try to make it relatable to yeah. to our consumers and hope for the best. Angels <laughs> envy. Music to my ears. So what's next for Wes Henderson? Oh, geez. I, I would like to do some more of those collaborations and I have some of them in play. I'm enjoying time with the grandkids. I'm enjoying going down to Florida. Who knows, Chris? I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm taking more cases at the coroner's office when I can, yeah. you know, when they come in. I'm 55 years old. Hopefully have a few good years left. So Absolutely. we'll see what the next you know, what the next chapter is going to be like. And hopefully if it's something fun, I can come back and we can talk about it. That's, that's yeah, I'd really love cool. to talk. Yeah. I'd love to talk some cases when you have, when we can finally get to the point to discuss them. If there's ever anything you think we'd find interesting to talk to our listeners about, especially our listeners love to learn if it's yeah. something that's just a bizarre case that it was different and super interesting. Share it with us. We'd love to either have you on again or talk about it. Yeah, that would be fun. And anything, and I, that we, anything there is that we some can stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that too. There, there are some things that 
hopefully we'll be able to talk about soon. And I just, thanks to everybody who's listening. I, my social media, if I could plug it, if you don't mind, Absolutely. Is, uh, it's do. at, at KY bourbon maker, KY bourbon maker. It's real easy. Is that Instagram? And, yep. Instagram okay. and, and Twitter. I've been doing mostly Instagram lately. Good. And the podcast is uh, let's drink bourbon. And the first episode was with Brad Paisley. It's probably one of the best interviews we did. And if you're wow. a country music fan, yeah. listen to that. We had some really deep discussions about a lot of different things. And that's cool. I found you, yeah. Wesley Henderson. I, know, I already follow you, by the yeah. way. You didn't follow me back yet. She's got so many fans, I guess. When somebody, I didn't sli know. When somebody slides in there, she's like, <laughs> just another. I feel so bad sometimes. Just their guy. I had a client of mine who was following me. It, it's funny when I posted that singing video, Chris, she said, had I known that on the side you were doing this, we would have had more fun conversations, but I just don't, I, sometimes I don't go and look, but this is very cool. Yeah. Deputy coroner, pilot, former firefighter. You've got a lot of titles. Can't wait to see oh. what else. We're already, I'm already following him. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. We okay. follow each other, man. I'm yeah. just stalking Chris now. So it's okay. <laughs> I know everything about him. Wes, this has been a pleasure to finally meet you, you and talk to you Thank about you. the Angel's Envy and everything that you're doing in life, man. It's, it's really a blessing. Now, listen, I say we are looking forward to being on your podcast whenever you want us on. We would love to be on. And I just want to thank you for coming on here. Now, I'm planning a trip. I'm taking that bourbon trail. I think in January, I want to say Angel's Envy was already on the trip. It was already planned to be down there. So I'm coming down there to see the trip. Cool. I'm coming down to see the distillery, man, and take some pictures and fanboy a little bit while I'm down there. So it's, be available. I'm going to hit you. I, up. I will. Yeah, okay. shoot me those dates, Chris. And I think I'm around most of January, and I would love to visit and walk you around personally. And we'll have a, we'll have some cocktails. I mean, that's cool. That's so the team, cool. The team would get on a plane and come out here. We do not get to Kentucky often. I remember one time we made a wrong turn and ended up in Kentucky. I forgot. What it happens. Did. We were in, and I'm like... Kentucky, okay, because we never had an episode there, right, Chris? We didn't. I think we but drove we went, in there to film. We filmed there, yeah. But we were staying somewhere else, but we filmed in Kentucky, yeah. So we would go and get some food and barbecue there. But yeah, when I go back, oh, I'm definitely coming to visit for Good. sure. Anytime. Thank you. Yo, it's thank honestly you. been such an honor to have you on. So much fun. Let's stay in touch and have a wonderful holiday with the family. I will. And same to you all. All right. Thanks again for listening to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast with your hosts, Detective Chris Anderson and criminal attorney Fatima Silva. You guys have a great day. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye -bye. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. And a happy new year. <laughs> <laughs>